Well, happy 4th of July. It's the actual, I know it's just like holiday weekends on at church, sometimes fall, but it, it's actually on the holiday. And so happy 4th of July. And, um, you know, different churches take different approaches to um, noting or celebrating 4th. And, and, and we, we, well, first of all, almost wore like uh, some uh, red, white, and blue overalls that were cut into shorts. But my wife didn't think I should. But, um, you know, I, and some churches do that. I mean, there's decked out with people. I remember we had... Uh, we had a, a lady um, wear just a full-on like parachute jumpsuit that was American flag and led our worship. I was I was so distracted that morning. So we don't do that, but but that doesn't mean we don't uh, take a moment. It doesn't mean that we don't talk about that. There is there's a rightful place in, in our hearts to, to take a moment and and be grateful for uh, the freedom that we have here in this country. And we want to have rightly ordered loves. That Derek was Derek Bourne was talking to me about that a little bit a few weeks ago, looking ahead at this service. And, and, and I think that's important for us to remember that, yeah, we are citizens of heaven, and that is what defines us, that our name in, in Jesus only, right? That's what defines us. Um, but it is okay to rejoice in the secondary citizenship of, of America, and it is okay to work uh, for her good and to uh, enjoy the blessings thereof. So let's just take a moment and pray. Let's take a moment and pray and uh, pray for our country and be grateful uh, for those that have sacrificed to have uh, the freedom that we have, um, let's take a moment and pray for, for those in leadership. Uh, let's just obey the Bible, right? It tells us to do that. And so let's do that. And we're, we're going to jump into Colossians. So God, uh, I just want to ask for your help. As we look, uh, it, it, we, most of us have been Americans all of our lives, and it is, uh, it's difficult to sometimes sort out that identity. And, but may you just overwhelm and supersede uh, our, our citizenship um, with your kingdom, and that that, Lord, would ultimately lead us to make an impact here in this country of America, that if we have a rightly ordered love, affection, and loyalty that is directed at you in an uncompromising way, then we're going to be much better citizens, able to work for the good of all people out of love and for the advancement of your kingdom. So help us to do that. Help us to have that 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 right perspective. And we do say thank you. We say thank you for those who shed blood. Thank you for those who have come before us, um, Lord. And, and we, uh, we, we say thank you for leading them to and creating them to be such courageous and, and valiant people. And for those in our midst that have served in our military, Lord, may they know that we are grateful. Lord, we pray for the leaders of our country. We pray for President Biden and all the way down, Lord, the, those that... that um, you, the word says that you've, you've put in place, you've, you've brought them to their office and that we should lift them up in prayer. We pray that you would give them wisdom. We pray that you would give them moral courage and, and a moral compass, compass uh, first and foremost, Lord, but moral courage to follow that. And Lord, we pray um, that, that you would bring revival. Uh, we, we have no hope in anything but the gospel, um, but we do pray for those leaders that your will would be done and that we would be faithful as we live in the midst of it. So uh, help us, Jesus. We need it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's turn to Colossians. So we just finished Daniel. We were in Daniel uh, for, for several months, and, and, and really Daniel painted this grand picture of history and, and a God's sovereignty in history. And over and over again, we saw that, that, that God would remind Daniel and, and therefore his people that he was in control, and he, would, and he would look ahead, right? I don't know if you remember, there was this pattern where he would look ahead, and he would explicitly tell Daniel that, yeah, you're in Babylon right now, but Babylon's going to be replaced by Persia 
and then Persia will be replaced by Greece, and then Greece will be replaced by Rome. And that came in different visions in different ways. But, but it, it all pointed ahead to, hey, God's not abandoned us in this. In fact, he has a plan in the midst of this chaos and this pattern and, and, and this evil, you know, um, seeming to take root and, and gain influence. God is, is not bailed on us. In fact, he will uh, prevail as he has an ultimate plan and a, and, a, and a much larger picture of that. But one of the things we pointed out on a couple different occasions is that God has a purpose for each of those evil nations that, that we saw, um, though they were pagan, God had a purpose to accomplish with those, those nations. So Persia, he used them to send his people back home, right? Babylon he'd used to punish his people, discipline. And then when that was finished, he used Persia to send them back home. And then he used Greece to uh, blow up the, the, world, the, the empire in such a way and advance education and a common language. All of this is preparing the way for the coming of Christ, right? So Greece... Um, shares, you know, it spreads this common language throughout the empire. And then when Rome comes in and takes over, we know the, the, um, the impact that Rome had on just the modern world, right? Their infrastructure, Pax Romana, the things that came into place that, uh, you know, from, from roads and infrastructure that, that allowed, that, that had that not been in place prior to Jesus coming, the spread of the gospel would have been less effective. And so God is not, he's not, or as we looked at last week, he's not early nor late. He's always right on time. He knows exactly what he's doing. And so Daniel sort of painted this grand picture for us and, and, and looked ahead at what God was going to do in setting the stage for Jesus's first coming. And now we are in this place where we are, we are you know, we have some prophecy looking ahead to as well, but it's, it, everything that God is, is doing in history right now is, is looking ahead to the second coming of Christ and his kingdom is being built uh, soul by soul, person by person, as it advances through the gospel. And so that all um, takes place. And we're going to fast forward now to the other side of Jesus's uh, death, burial, and resurrection. And we have um, the church is, is, is beginning to explode and expand into the rest of the world outside of Jerusalem. And so, you know, you may know the story of Jesus is, um, you know, raised from the dead. He meets with his disciples and he sends them out. He tells them to go and make disciples of all nations and he'll be with them always, right? And, and he says, you're going to be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, right? So it's this, hey, you're here now, but this is not just a Jerusalem message. This is going to spread beyond, right? And so then we see that that happens. And this is so helpful. If you've ever read your Bible and been like, if you just didn't know a lot about the structure of your Bible and what these letters were and what these different things were, it can be confusing, right? Even in the Old Testament, you read like First and Second Chronicles and, and First and Second Kings. You're like, this sounds familiar. Why are they telling me twice, right? And then you, you read, you get in the New Testament and you read these different, you know, Philippians and Ephesians. And, and it's, there's some repetitive things. There's some, and, and it can be confusing. But when you know like the structure of what's going on here, what you have is the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they recount the, uh, the life and ministry of Jesus, right? But then we have this really important book called Acts. And Acts is, is named the, the Acts of the Apostles. So after Jesus is ascended into heaven and gives them that mission, Acts recounts the, the early years of the church growing and exploding. And then when you read that and you know, okay, this is what happened in Acts, and you have these stories of these missionaries and these these church planners going out and the, the things that they, they went through trying to sort out, okay, what does this mean to follow Jesus in that culture? Now that makes a whole lot more sense when you come to books like Colossians, because books like Colossians and First and Second Corinthians and um, you know most of the the New Testament books between Acts and Revelation are what we call epistles, which are letters written to particular churches by usually their pastors or some um, apostolic authority. And so that is what Colossians is. It is a book written to a church 
um, in a city of Colossae that was founded as, as a part of the, the gospel blowing up and, and going out and reaching the nations as Jesus said that his disciples should and that the gospel would. And so that's where we get the book of Colossians. And it's, we're going to look a little bit at Acts 19, which is going to give us just a small snapshot as, as to how this church in Colossae began. But So we're just going to do an intro today. We're going to go one through eight. We're going to do an intro. Uh, I'm excited to teach and, and preach through this book, though. It's, it's all about the preeminence, the supremacy of Christ. It's all about how these are people struggling to figure out how do, we, how, how do we actually live the life that we want to live and we're longing to live and we feel called to live. And, and Paul is going to say, hey, don't, don't go to something else like people are tempting you to. You've not exhausted the depths of the gospel. And so he's just going to point them to lean in to the, the supreme excellency of Jesus as the ultimate. He's not just how you start in Christianity. He's not just your ticket in, right? As Keller says, he's, he's, the, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A through Z that we always come back to Jesus. It's not get Jesus and you're in the right lane and now you need all these other things. No, it's always Jesus, regularly Jesus, and always the gospel. And so that's going to be Paul's point, and it's fleshed out in some beautiful language and some powerful text. But today we're just going to look at sort of some of the context of how it got started, and we're going to look at the spread and the power of the gospel. So look with me, if you would, at Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8 here and then walk through it. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it, does, as it also does among you, since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you have learned it from Epaphras, our beloved and fellow servant. He is a faithful minister to Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to you, or he's made known to us, your love in the Spirit. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, I'm gonna, we're gonna look back. You, you can turn with me if you want, but in Acts chapter 19, we, we just, this is such a cool story and a little bit different than many of the other epistles and, the, and many of the other um, New Testament churches because it's, it's almost a, uh, an afterthought. There's not a direct, in fact, Paul himself, most of the time Paul is writing back to churches that he planted himself, that he spent time with, and he knew m many of the people. That's not the case at Colossae. In fact, it's, it's almost a, a secondary, um, it, it's not an afterthought, but you have to look a bit for it to see uh, some of, of how this started in the book of Acts. So in Acts uh, chapter 19, verses 8 through 10, we see that Paul is in the city of Ephesus. And Jess, if you'll go back to that, um, that map for just a minute, you'll see that Ephesus was a major city in um, Asia at the time. And, and Colossae was, was not a huge city. It was along an eastern and western trade route. And so it had some life to it, but it was more rural. Uh, if you see Heropolis and Laodicea, they, they are close and they are sort of the more metropolitan areas that get more of the influence. So maybe a little bit like us in St. Louis, right? Like, so we're not, we're not super podunk, right? But we, we're, we're not metropolitan either, you know? And so that's, it's a little bit like Colossae. I think we could probably relate a little bit to, to the way that people would, would view. It's kind of a nice in-between. Uh, um, and so, <clears throat> so Paul spent a lot of time, and usually he would do this with most of the books he's written, but 
Um, we, Paul had actually never been to Colossae, at least that we know of, and he didn't start this church, and he hadn't met most of these people, so how did this happen? Well, Paul was in Ephesus, and Paul spent around three years in Ephesus, and what we're going to see is this is how Paul would start his ministry. Anywhere he went, he would start at the most common place, which is the synagogue, and he would start reasoning with them. These are Jews that had been waiting for the Messiah, and he would start by telling them, hey, you don't have to wait anymore. He came, and his name was Jesus, and we killed him, and he was resurrected, and you should believe in him and trust in him as Lord, but oftentimes they didn't want to receive that. And so then Paul would move out. So that's exactly what we have happening in Ephesus. Verse 8 says this of, of, of Acts chapter 19. And he, being Paul, entered the synagogue for three months and spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, I, I know that's really hard to believe about people, that that would be true, but it happened. When they're stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. So not only did they not believe, but they would villainize the, these gospel-believing, Jesus-following people that they had named the way. And so when they would take that posture before the congregation, he withdrew. He says, all right, you know, this is similar to Jesus telling his disciples, hey, you know, the town doesn't receive you, dust the, feet, dust the dust off your feet and move on, right? So Paul would do this. He would reason with them. When they, they would uh, get hostile, he would say, okay, I'm gonna pull out. So what does he do? He withdrew from them and took the disciples. So there are believers that have been converted. He takes them. He says, all right, we're gonna go out here. And he starts reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia hear the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul pulls out of the synagogue and goes and starts having a Bible study in this uh, other sort of public hall of Tyrannus. And it's interesting that, that your, some of your Bibles may footnote that the time uh, that of this Bible study was not particularly seeker sensitive, right? So, I mean, anytime we schedule an event here at The Journey, we're always like, okay, when, when are people gonna be the most likely to come? And it's usually, we're just gonna have to do it right after church since y'all are here, right? Because it's just hard to get you to come back. But so we're always thinking about that. What's the most like, you know, convenient time for the most people that will get people to come? Well, Paul does this Bible study uh, at, it's like 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Who's going to be able to make that gig, right? Like that's not going to be a well-attended Bible study, but that's what he does. And it goes on for two years, he says, and, and this Bible study blows up. It blows up. So it's quick. You'll miss it in verse 10, but it says, this continued for two years and, and the implications are so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So this Bible study, this Paul sets up shop here. I mean, and this is, this is similar to, you know, Paul's pattern of life where, where the Lord is blessing. When he gets leverage, he's going to sit there and he's going to do, he's going to sort of milk that for all it's worth. And he's going he's to get as many converts as he can and start churches and train up people and then he'll move on to the next place. So Paul's there for a couple years training up these people, doing this Bible study and it, it, and it has such an impact that people from all over Asia end up hearing about it. And so one of those people is a man you heard briefly mentioned in Colossians 1 there when we read it named Epaphras. And so this guy comes from Ephesus or he comes from Colossae to Ephesus to hear and to learn under Paul, here's the gospel, is changed and takes the gospel back home. This is an awesome, this is one of my favorite things about the book of Colossians. Is that the church was started not by Paul and his team and not even by this particular, um, you know, commissioned individual. We don't actually have any evidence of, of uh, 
Epaphras being sort of set aside the way we do with Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13 and, and, you know, hands laid and sent out. This is just a guy who hears the gospel, is totally changed by the gospel, and takes the gospel back home. Amen? This is just, this just is a natural implication of him hearing the gospel. Perhaps you, you, know, you remember that in your own life whenever you got saved. Perhaps you've known somebody like that. This is the woman at the well who starts out not, unable to even converse with Jesus because of the cultural um, divide and the tension and the shame that is on her life. And when she encounters Jesus and, he, and he, he reveals himself to her, she ends up going back home. This is the woman who doesn't want to be around anybody. She came to the well at noon to avoid everything body. And what does she do when she leaves the well after she met Jesus? She goes and tells everybody, right? So the gospel transforms us in such a way that it should compel us to share. And that's exactly what I want to look at today is just the spread of the gospel and, and therefore the power of the gospel. And that that should be, the, the, that, that is still the movement that is happening in the kingdom of God is the spreading of the gospel. That it wasn't just get it to Jesus and then the Jews in Jerusalem, but it was to go out to all nations. And believe it or not, it wasn't just to get it to America so that you and I can hear. And then God's really content with his mission. He's done really well. He's, he's reached this awesome country. No, no, he has more people to hear. He has more peoples and, and ethne who have not heard the gospel yet. And guess what? He's commanded us to be the ones telling them. So we, this is important historically for us to not, we, it's easy for us to kind of take a grand view of history as we did in Daniel, but have a really narrow view of our present. You know what I mean? Like we can have a grand view of history and understand that God is doing this work. Oh, that's what he was doing in Rome. That's, but you know, the people in Rome didn't know that the reason they were living through the, the suffering and the persecution that they were living through was so that you and I could benefit in that way. They didn't know that. It was just their life in the moment. You and I, we have our own struggles, don't we? We have life. We have junk, we have tension, we have pain, we have relational struggle, we have financial trouble, we have all of those things that are right here in front of us and they demand our attention, don't they? But the reality is there is a grander view from heaven of what he intends to accomplish with us, his church. And that is the spreading of the gospel. And so Paul is celebrating this, that this, this man, Epaphras, takes the gospel back home. I don't know if y'all, some of y'all were here several years ago where we had um, a, a student that was attending SIU who was from the Middle East um, and ended up, I don't even know the, the stories of how he got connected with our church, but ended up getting saved, him and his wife, right? We baptized him. It was awesome. They, like So much so we couldn't even really publicize that we were baptizing him like, because of the, the, what would happen to them at home. But you know, it, last I heard, that joker was headed back home to tell his people about Jesus. Like, that's the last I heard of that guy, is, is he, was, he was taking the gospel back home to where you and I can't go. You realize that? Like, we can't go over there and say we're missionaries, let me tell you. Like, but, but he can go back home and tell everybody about Jesus. Like, and so this is not the, the exception. This should be more the norm. But we as the American church have gotten really comfortable and really lax in the, the spread of the gospel. And I think that's because we've forgotten about the power of the gospel. So I just want to let Paul remind us of that today. And the first thing that we need to do is we need to hear the gospel. Paul gives his greetings in verse 1 and 2. And, and Paul is writing as, uh, you know, an authority, an apostle figure, even though he didn't start that church, he, he is still known as the authoritative, as the man who is, who is, is planting these churches. And so he still has that influence. And so they would recognize him by name, by reputation. They would know, oh, this is the apostle Paul. This would, this would come with a, a little, a little bit of like, oh, it, it, it's him. He's writing to us. And so it, it's cool. We're going to get into it later, but Paul's actually on, in house arrest in Rome, 
um, in this time. And so uh, you, what we think happened is Epaphras like goes and visits Paul. He's in house arrest, so you can go and like, you know, have these conversations and, and check in. And so he's sharing with him, how is it going? And, and Epaphras is like, man, it's really good in many ways, but we're starting to have some trouble. Pastoring's hard. People are stubborn, right? People are, 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 are stiff-necked. And, and so he begins to share some of the things. And then Paul, out of response to that, writes this letter and sends it back to them. And so he's giving those, those salutations. We'll talk a little bit more about what those issues were as we go through the book. But, he, but And after that, we get into verse 3, and he says, we always thank God. So this is Paul, and he includes Timothy. Timothy is one of his primary partners in ministry. Paul's the author, but he includes Timothy, our brother. So he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we, when we pray for you. So these are gospel-slinging, church-planting men. This is their life. And they, you got to imagine they're having daily or maybe multiple times a day or gathering together and praying. And when they do, the Church of Colossae is on their list, is on their prayer list. Paul didn't go there and plan it personally, but he's praying for them. He's giving thanks for them, and he's rejoicing. Uh, and he says, we've been doing this, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have heard for, and the love that you have had for all the saints— because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. And of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Church, our first and primary purpose in gathering this morning and any Sunday morning and any time that we open the word is we should be longing to hear the gospel. It doesn't matter how many times you've heard it. You, you, you've, you've heard us quote before, I think it was Martin Luther that was approached by some of his congregates and saying, uh, Pastor, brother, when are you going to preach on? When, when are you going to preach on something else other than the gospel? And he says, "Well, when you start acting like a people who believe the gospel, right?" So he just continues to preach the gospel, and that's what you and I need week in, week out, day in, day out, hour in, hour out. Is we need the gospel over and over again. So we need to make sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we have heard the gospel and we've responded rightly to the gospel because Paul is rejoicing that through their hearing of the gospel. These people have been transformed, that they have a love for all the saints, it says in verse 4. Why? Because they've just really learned to be good people? Because they attended, you know, Epaphras attended Paul's self-help class, and he took that, you know, he took the, Paul's newest book, you know, uh, 12 Ways to Your Best Life Now or whatever, and he took it back to Colossae and started his own Bible study, and now everybody's become a really loving people, and they all know how to be kind. No, 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 no. Why? Because of the gospel. He says, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, you've been transformed. You have been transformed. You're a different people. And he says, we rejoice in this. And of this, you heard before in the word of truth. Listen, we need not assume. In fact, we cannot assume the people believe and understand that there is actual truth. In today's world, there's all sorts of pluralism. There's all sorts of uh, pervasive ideas about what, and in fact, here's what we know right now. Tell me your truth. Like, no. Like, if truth isn't, if there's not an absolute, if there's not an anchor to that truth, then, then it's not actually truth, right? Because what if my truth says your truth is a lie? What if my truth says it's okay to, feel, you know what I mean? We can get at all sort of philosophy there, and I've probably already offended some. But, but we need to know that, that, that there is absolute truth, and it is found not in our own ideas or in our own self identifying whatever we want to come up with, but right here in the Word of God. And if we don't have this as an anchor and this as a hope, then we're all foolish for being here. Certainly me for spending all week working on this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Paul says we should go home. 
but we do. We have a hope. It is the truth of the gospel. And Paul says, that's what you heard. That's what you're rejoicing in. And he's going to go on to say, don't leave that behind in pursuit of some other worldly stuff. Lean in even further. You haven't mined the depths of the, of the, the goodness of the gospel yet. Keep digging. Keep leaning in because Jesus is not just the one who gets you your ticket to heaven. He is the end all be all. He is the one above all. He is the one who made all and holds all things together. And he's just gonna, I mean, it, it just gets beautiful. Uh, Colossians 1, I mean, it, the, the language that we get into, especially verse 15 on, is so beautiful. But, but Paul is reminding them of hearing the gospel. He's taking them back to the moment when they heard the gospel. And I want you to go back to that moment. I want you to think, have you heard the gospel? And if you're here, you're like, I, I'm not really, maybe you're here and you're checking it out. Like we can't assume that you've heard the gospel. Yes, there's churches all over Southern Illinois. But what I've, what I've found in my time pastoring here is people will come here and they'll go, I never really heard that said that way. And I'll go, what do you mean? And, it, and what they begin to articulate is the gospel. And I'm like, well, what were they saying to you then? Because if I don't have the gospel, I have nothing to say to you. If I don't have the word of God to preach to you, I have nothing to say to you. I will quit. So we can't assume that people from, you know, yes, this is a churched culture. That doesn't mean it's a saved culture. That doesn't mean it's a transformed culture. So we need to examine our own hearts. Just because you were raised in church and you made a, maybe you made a profession when you were a kid or, or, or somewhere along the way or you just always assume, well, yeah, I'm a Christian because mom and dad were or we were in ministry or whatever. No, we need to examine our own hearts. Have you heard the gospel? That's the first step. Well, what is the gospel? Well, simply put, I took this from Max Stiles' book on evangelism. The gospel is, joy, is the joyful message from God that leads us to salvation. The word gospel means good news. Have you heard the good news? It is the joyful message from God that leads to salvation. And within that, within that, the gospel reveals several things to us, but, but four very clearly, first of all, is who is God? The gospel is the news that our God is the creator of all things, that he made us to be in his image, that he is pure, right, and holy, that he is just, and that he is good. And that what our hearts actually long for is him. And which takes us to the second thing we learn is that why are we such a mess? Why are we such a mess? The gospel explains to us why we're such a mess. What do you mean? Because it shows us that we were made for that good, holy, and right, perfect God. And anything less than that leaves us disappointed, contorted, and, and, and aimed the wrong direction, chasing, um, as, our, as our brother Aaron Smith used to sing, digging empty wells, Right? We, we, there's nothing, and he got that from Jeremiah, one of the prophets, like that we are, are trying to store water, trying to get water out of these broken cisterns, that everything in our life is, is only going to lead to disappointment other than Jesus. So it teaches us who God is, but it also teaches us why we're such a mess. And then it teaches us what did Christ do? Christ did something about it. It says that while the world was dead in their trespasses and sins, that God so loved us that he sent Jesus to do something about it. And Jesus stepped into our broken world. He took on flesh. He lived the life that you and I were supposed to live, but we couldn't. And then he died, meaning he lived a sinless life. And then he died the death that you and I should have died. The death that you and I had deserved because we were the ones that had sinned. The Bible says the wages of sin. Kids, I don't know if you know this, wages is something you do whenever, uh, it was something you earn when you go to work and you should go to work. Just a quick side note, um, when you get old enough, that's important. 
another sermon, but that's important. But when you go to work, you earn something called wages. And what you earn, and, and the wage is what you earn for doing your labor. What, what we earn for being sinners is death. It's death. So Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we should have died, and then he was, he was buried in the grave that we belonged in. But he was raised again to the victory that you and I could never achieve. And he shares that victory because sin had no hold on him. He burst forth out of the grave. He's the resurrected Savior. And, and everything now that has been broken and messed up is being made new. He's reversing the curse and he's inviting you and I to experience that victory. That's the good news of the gospel is that if you realize, here's the gospel, the reason you're jacked up is because you need God. You need God. And you can't get him on your own. That your good works, your good deeds are not enough to get back to God or to earn your relationship with him. But he is good and he made a way. So the gospel is this. You realize, oh man, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. That one day I'll stand before that holy God and I'll have to give an explanation and I got nothing other than Jesus. That's the first step is, 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 is realizing you are lost. In order to receive the good news, you have to start with the bad news that you are lost. The Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. But it doesn't end there because he's made a way. Yes, you are, if you, so if you realize you're a sinner, you need a savior, and then you believe and confess that Jesus is that savior, the Bible says you can be saved. That's the good news. That's the, the message of salvation. You say, okay, well, what else do I got to do? How, how, you know, what do I got to do now? How, what, give me the list of rules I got to follow. No, no, it's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. There's this clip going around. You should Google it. Uh, and maybe we'll share it on our uh, Facebook later of, uh, oh man, blanking on the pastor's name. He's one of my favorites though. He's Scottish or Irish. Alistair Begg talking about, uh, man, if we begin to answer the question of how we got to heaven in the first person, we've done it wrong. And he's got a cool accent, so it's even better. So I won't try to say it. You should just look it up. But it's awesome because it's, it's only and always about Jesus. It's what, what, not what we have done, but what he has done. And that transforms us. And you say, okay, so I just accept Jesus and I keep living my life the way I did before? Nope. When you accept Jesus, you'll be transformed and you won't want to live your life the way you did before. Amen? It will change you. And that's what Paul's talking about as he says, I've heard the way you love one another at the end of verse 4. Why? Because of this hope that you have laid up for and that you have laid up for you in heaven. And you heard this in the word of truth, which is the gospel. The gospel is the most important thing. And if we get one message to get out, it is the gospel. That's what we have to bank on. Okay, so hearing the gospel. Do you remember when you first heard? Do you remember like when you really, really heard? You remember what that was like? Go back to that. Go back to that moment when you realized you could be set free. When you realized you could be forgiven when you realize our God made a way? Have you heard the gospel? If not, it's, it's a good day because you're hearing it now and you get to respond. You don't even have to wait till the end of the sermon. You, you can right now cry out, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I need you to save me and he will be glad to do so and we will rejoice with you. Have you heard the gospel? Secondly, as we hear the gospel, we should be compelled to now share the gospel. Verse six says, uh, the gospel which has come to you as indeed is in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as 
it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, belo- our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us your love in the Spirit. What's Paul saying? He says, this guy came to my Bible study, met Jesus, understood the gospel, and took it back to you. He's a faithful minister, and now he's brought your heartaches and your troubles and your love and the good news of your church back to me, and we're in this together. So the second point is that as we hear the gospel, we should simultaneously be compelled to share the gospel. And you go, wait, 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 but I don't have any training. Wait, 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 I'm not a preacher. Wait, I'm not a missionary. I don't know. It it doesn't matter. It's not about those qualifications. It's a compulsion of, oh my gosh, I've been changed. This is the best news in the world. This is the only news that matters. Let me tell whoever I can tell. So we should be sharing the gospel. Yes, we, meaning you and me, not just me, but you and me. Epaphras wasn't this ordained, hands-laid-on minister that got sent out. His life was changed, and he started sharing. And God used him to start a church. And he's still using that church and the the words that Paul wrote to him thousands of years later to encourage you and I. Don't minimize your role in the advancement of God's kingdom. Don't minimize your role in the advancement of God's kingdom. Because here's the deal. Most of the people in Colossae would never make the 150-mile hike over to Ephesus to attend Paul's Bible study. You see that? Like not everybody from Colossae was like, sure, I'll go to Ephesus and attend a midday Bible study for five hours for a couple years. Can't do that, right? But Epaphras could, and he did. And God changed him, and now he went back. So not all of your friends and family and coworkers will get their butts out of bed and come to church this morning instead of, I mean, on my way here this morning, I saw people with golf clubs in their car. I saw people with boats attached to their, to their vehicles and there is nothing wrong with either of those things. Don't hear me, but they see Sunday. Okay, I'm gonna get all I can out of that day, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna head to the lake. I'm doing these things. They won't come here on a Sunday morning, but guess what? You did and praise God for that. But guess what? Now you're gonna go to work with them tomorrow. And now, now they are in proximity to the gospel, right? So when people won't come in here to hear the word of God, you who have heard the word of God, take it to them. You understand that? That's how the gospel is effective. That's how we grow. It's not just wait till they come in here and hope that I preach well that morning or the band perform. No, no, you take the gospel to them. It's as you spread it out and take it as you go into the, like not everybody needs to be in vocational ministry. That won't be real effective. I know fewer non-Christians now than I did when I worked at Aldi. Why? Because I worked at Aldi, right? Now, like, there's just not a lot lot of non-Christians that come in that hallway over there, so I gotta go meet them. I gotta figure it out. You see what I'm saying? You guys have access to people that I don't. You guys have opportunities that I won't and church staff won't. So don't minimize your role in the spread and the sharing of the gospel. Go and share it. And it's so important that we do this because if we are not trying to share and spread the gospel, then we will lose what the gospel is. John Piper says that when a person or a group is not spreading the gospel, they're losing their grasp on what the gospel actually is. What does he mean by that? If we forget that, our, that the gospel is by its very nature something that is gonna spread and grow, then we will lose what the gospel is. And you've seen this happen in denominations. You've seen this happen in local churches. You've seen this happen in people. Right? Because we can get distracted and we can start pursuing social justice. We can get distracted, we can start pursuing political, you know, candidates or 
whatever it may be. We can get distracted and start fighting over these issues. But when we were on mission, when we are on mission and figuring out how to share the gospel across cultures, across aisles, across um, cubicles, we keep, like, we have to figure out, like, some of that stuff doesn't matter. We have to figure out what is the gospel in this context. When I take it to the Middle East, when I take it to India, to Africa, like, it, it's not about Republican, Democrat, and this movement, and social, no, no, no. It's, it's boiled down really quickly for us. Is no, no, we need them to hear the gospel, which is they are all sinners on their way to hell unless they meet Jesus, and Jesus has come to meet them. Like, that's, and so... When we stop spreading the gospel, we start losing the essence of what the gospel is. So we have to be a people, we have to be a church, we have to be an individual, we have to be a family that is about spreading and sharing the gospel. So why are you not? I want you to actually think about it. I want you to think right now. Why am I not sharing the gospel? What's keeping you from it? Maybe, maybe, maybe you really don't know any non-Christians. Maybe your, your life is pretty isolated. <laughs> maybe you've been working from home for the last year and a half and you, you don't see anybody either, right? Maybe your life has just become insulated with only Christians. You don't really have those relationships. Maybe you don't know what to say. Maybe you don't know how. There's a couple resources on your app. Uh, there's an article and then there's, a, there's an attached video that will give you some just really easy, accessible thoughts and language of how to effectively share the gospel. So I ruled out that excuse. Now what about not knowing anybody? Figure out how to meet some non-Christians. How can you adjust your life? Do you go to Starbucks every day? Maybe you, maybe you start learning the barista's name. Maybe you start saying hi. Maybe, do, do you go to lunch at the same place all the time? Like maybe you start getting to know the staff. Maybe you you, you take your headphones out for a few minutes at the gym and start getting to know the people that work there or work out with you. Maybe you, uh, you know, at work, you, you start eating your lunch in the commons area instead of alone somewhere. Like, I, I don't know, but I bet you could figure it out. I bet if you, if you set your mind to it and you start going, Lord, how can I get around people who don't know you? I bet he'll show you. Because as church as this area is, there's still a whole lot of people who have not heard the true gospel. It's on us. Like, God wants to use us to share it with him. All right, hear the gospel, share the gospel, and then trust the gospel. So in, in uh, verse six that we read, we hear this uh, incredible testimony about the power of the gospel. He says, this gospel came to you as indeed the, in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing as it does also among you since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. What's Paul saying? He says, hey, this gospel it has its own power. It's not just about Paul. This is what's so beautiful about this passage. It affirms it didn't rest on Paul, the mega, like, the, you know, the, the ultimate preacher, church planner guy. Like too many churches now build their ministries and their whole emphasis around one particular personality. And when that personality is removed, the church crumbles. It can't be like that. Now, we've, if, we, if it's like that, we've placed the power on that individual and not on the gospel. But here's the good news. We actually don't have to place the power on those individuals. We don't have to wait on the super charismatic pastor preacher to come along. It doesn't mean those, those guys are wrong. God has done some incredible things through many of uh, 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 you know, guys that would fall into that list in my own life. But perhaps they, they, they're, they're, anyway, that's a whole other sermon, sorry. But it's good news that we don't have to wait on this ultimately 
powerful, charismatic, Spurgeon-like communicator that's going to draw this massive crowd. No, the, the power rests simply in the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, which we walked through last year, that I didn't come to you with the eloquency of speech, but I simply came preaching Christ and him crucified. So share the gospel and then trust in the power of the gospel because the gospel is going to have its effect. It's going to bear its fruit. Romans 1.16 says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You catch that? That's another thing that probably we didn't address when we said, why aren't we sharing the gospel? For many of you, it's because you're ashamed. He would, probably wouldn't say that, but when it comes to, push comes to shove and you start to think about, okay, what if I actually brought it up with my family member or with my coworker or with whatever, you start to have fear and shame, don't you? And what they might say or how they might view you. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's not on me. If I blunder through it, the gospel has its own power and it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So we trust in the power of the gospel. Listen, we want to see God do a work in America, in our world, in our day and age. We put our hope, we go all in on the gospel. Yes, we believe in doing um, justice, biblical justice. I have kids in my home from foster care. I compel all you guys to consider how do you love your neighbor? Like we, there are implications when we become a follower of Christ, how we live and how we love people is absolutely and ultimately transformed. But if we love all the people and house all the orphans and, and feed all of the hungry, but we never preach the gospel, then we failed miserably. We failed miserably. What good does it do to gain the whole world but to forfeit your soul? The gospel has to be primary. It has to be the thing that we are all in on, the thing that we trust in its power. So listen, some of you, you need to make this real. You got people in your life that you don't think God will ever reach or that you've given up on them, God reaching them. You need to start thinking about them right now. Pull them up in your head. It might be your kids. It might be your mom and dad. It might be your family member, brothers, sisters. It might be people at work. It's people that you've already, you've sort of subconsciously decided they're, they're not interested, right? Trust the power of the gospel. Trust in the power of the gospel. They may not have a seeker-sensitive heart. They may not come to you and sit down at lunch and say, hey, could you please explain the four spiritual laws to me? They probably won't. They might. Sometimes God works that way. But if we trust in the power of the gospel and we simply keep telling it. We keep simply keep saying it. We keep sharing our testimony. We keep sharing the good news of the gospel. It will not return void. It will not fail to bear fruit. We trust in the power of the gospel. Paul says everywhere that it goes, it is bearing fruit in the world and increasing. This is awesome news. Paul, Paul is seeing second and third generation effects in churches of his efforts. That it doesn't, it doesn't rely on Paul. Like a lot of pastors and megachurch pastors today will go, well, we, we, gotta, we gotta go and build another site or build another, you know, so that my voice can be heard. No, no, Paul just keeps preaching, keeps training, keeps making disciples, and he lets those guys go plant churches. And it's effective. Why? Because the gospel is effective. Amen? We trust in the power of the gospel. It is the thing that changes the world. It is the thing that will ultimately change the addict's heart. 
is the thing that will ultimately shatter the, the, the broken marriage. It is the thing that will ultimately bring justice to those who have been or feel as though they have been oppressed. It is the thing that will, will break the pride and, and the, the sin in those who have oftentimes done the oppressing. It is the gospel. It is the gospel. We go all in on chasing that oppressed. We, we, we've lost the gospel. You understand that? But we preach the gospel. We trust in the gospel powerfully, placing our hope unashamedly in the gospel in the midst of all the cultural voices saying, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to hear. No, we say this is the gospel. It's a simple and powerful and profound word from God that this is the joyful message from God of how we receive salvation. May this be said of us. May we be like Epaphras, faithful ministers where God has us. Where does God have you? Where do you spend your time? Some of you are like, I, I always go to ball games all the time with my kids. All right, that's where he has you. Those parents you're hanging out with, they need Jesus, right? Some of you are like, oh, I mean, we don't really do much. All right, we'll figure out how you can change that, right? Like, are you being a faithful minister where you are? The way that Epaphras heard this and he didn't just go, man, this is life-changing, this is awesome, and then just go back to Colossae and live his life and everybody's like, hey, what, where you been, dude? Oh, I just went to Bible study for a couple years. Cool. He's like, no, 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 let me tell you what I learned from this other part of the kingdom. Let me tell you how my life's been transformed. God used him to start a church. It's awesome. Don't underestimate what God may do through you. You might start a Bible study at your work. You might start a Bible study at your school, kids, with your team. It could be as simple as that, kiddos. You're playing ball. Hey, what if we, what if we, read, a, what if we read a verse before? What if, we, what if we huddled up and talked about this passage? What if we, you know, like, don't think that you have to wait until somebody asks you to hold a mic up here on a stage like this, like me. No, no, no. Go be a faithful minister where God has you. Amen. If you've never heard the gospel, if you've never responded to the hearing of the gospel, you've heard it today, you're now accountable. What will you do to it? What will you do with it? Hebrews says, man, today's the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never been transformed, set free from your sin, truly saved today, cry out. You might say, well, I've been pretending. My spouse thinks I am. My whole church thinks. I mean, I've heard stories of like deacons and elders getting saved because they, 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 didn't, they didn't really know they'd been put in this position, but they didn't really know the gospel. What foolishness would it be for you to hang on to that pride at the cost of your soul? No, no, come receive Jesus today. We'd love to pray with you. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be a people that are rejuvenated by the power of the gospel, that we would be freshly encouraged, freshly inspired, and freshly made new. May we, as we prayed earlier, because we're being transformed, because we are made new by the power of the gospel, may we be powerful witnesses here in this wonderful nation of the United States of America. May we be powerful witnesses here in Marion and Southern Illinois and, and beyond. Take our hearts, Lord, transform them, and then use our lives for your kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen.